0: I'm Neil Piggott, and this is Episode 1, Series 2 of Making Art. Each episode of Making Art features a conversation between me and a colleague in their creative space about their journey and their creative process, how they make what they make. And the conversations aren't structured, I'm desperately fighting my inner control freak by allowing these conversations to go wherever they want. And given it's the beginning of a new series after a 12-month break, I thought I'd set myself a real challenge and talk to a couple rather than an individual. So I bailed up actor, writer, director, producer Robin Butler and her partner, the actor, writer, director, producer and I have to say excellent coffee maker Wayne Hope. The two met as actors on the comedy series Tall Tales But True back in the late 90s, and after what Robin describes as a gentle, caring and respectful courtship, they entered into a personal relationship. And they took that relationship one step further in 2004, when together they produced, wrote and directed and acted in their first television series. Stories from the Gulf. That's a Volkswagen, not a tropical destination was a series of five-minute satirical pieces set around a Volkswagen. It was the beginning of a creative collaboration that seems, in no time at all, to have given us a catalogue of beautifully observed, award-winning Australian television comedies, including The Librarians, Upper Middle Bogan, Very Small Business, Back in Very Small Business, along with the children's mockumentary comedy-drama Little Lunch, which was adapted from the books of Danny Katz, the feature film, Now Add Honey, and now a new children's detective show, The Investigators, and also recently, a web series, rather topically called Love in Lockdown. I met with Robin and Wayne at their offices in East St Kilda in a room dominated by a whiteboard covered in notes, arrows, character breakdowns and potential plot lines which looked suspiciously like the beginnings of a new something. And after Mr Hope had made me a more than acceptable cafe latte, we all hand sanitised and sat down across the table observing appropriate social distancing. And with the morning sun streaming through the window and everything in place, I pressed the red button. Ladies and gentlemen, Robin Butler and Wayne Hope. We were just talking before about it looks great now whole lot of stuff that you've made and you're working on new stuff and you've just got a kids series that's internationally successful. But let's just go all the way back to about 2004 let's say when you did a series of interstitials for SBS. That was Stories from the
1: Golf, yes.
0: Stories from the Golf. Mm. It seems... Look, I look at what at, you, at the passage of work from then to now. They were really quite biting social satires, those. And now there's this beautiful, um, nuanced, generous social commentary. How's that journey taken place?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question, oh, interesting. isn't it? Wow. I think, I think when we're young, when you're young, and I see it all around now with young people particularly with Twitter and social media there's such black and white about everything you know it's there's just a right and wrong and I think as you mature you you just mellow a little and I think when we were young we Comedy is so often an expression of your anger, and you can't do. You have no power mm-hmm. as a young person, particularly as a young, unemployed, writery, actory person, and you feel the only tool you have, the only weapon in your arsenal, is is your is your words and your craft, and so I think we used anger. Or comedy to, to sort of to disguise our anger and um, and then as we got older, I always say I think it's like the closer we get to death, the more we want to live and have hope and light. You don't think about that when you're young, do you? You don't think about
2: You hit the pessimism harder yeah. because you you I think you think you can invoke change more to uh, which is part of youth, you go harder.
1: (laughs) You think everybody's listening.
2: You think everyone's listening (laughs) and you think you can change something with a story. Um, And it's not that you can't have an effect, but I think over time there's a complexity that comes. You you
0: understand complexity. Well, we do, don't we? I mean, we and and it's interesting, isn't it, because, you know, uh, as... As I'm beginning to understand more about the grey that sits between the black and the white, I'm seeing the world becoming more black and white. I Particularly, I mean, politically, it's very partisan. Uh, Facebook, this idea that you know, there's, there's, the I'm right here and you're wrong, and the, and the, and the frustration that I think is is demonstrated by people who, 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 vent their spleen on these kind of uh, platforms, because they can't seem to find a way to accept that there is some sort of there's a whole raft of things between those two poles
1: and also the idea that you think you're going to change someone's mind by having a fight on twitter like i just i just think the the stomach churn that that would give me i i just i couldn't cope with it because i've been you know we've had a couple of explosive family arguments over out not between Wayne and me but between you know with with extended family or f- friends of family like I there was one particular one in Queensland that I remember with friends of the family who were at the house which was just explosive and I sometimes think about that it was about refugees and you know the usual kind of left right sort of partisan dilemma and i often often comes to mind when i see these people on twitter because There was no way that guy was going to change our mind and there was no way anything we said was going to change his mind. And you just... The bubbles have gotten bigger Mm. and smaller at the same time. You know, the ideology is smaller and it's...
2: And I think our push as that's developed has been to try and go in the other direction and put characters, the central characters as much complexity as we can has been an active focus of ours to go, how do we not polarise so quickly? How do we take someone who first flush, asshole, second pass, how do we bring us into an understanding of their reality and third pass possibly like them?
1: But, but our politics, interestingly, have not changed one iota. No. It's not like we've slid into the central kind of... It's not that. We, our politics have not changed. I think our skill has been in reaching a broader audience to maybe, maybe change a mind that way. I think everything we do has a point of view, but you create... You have to create empathy because you the bubbles... You, you have to burst the bubble somehow, and it's via empathy.
0: Was it the politics? When did you guys get together? It was about about twenty years ago, wasn't it? Twenty two yeah. years ago. Twenty two exactly. years ago. Right. Yeah. yeah. What was? What were you working on when you met? Uh, uh, we met via a show that Robin wrote
2: for the Comedy Channel for Foxtel called Small Tales and True, which was a mockumentary series. Uh, beautiful mockumentary series. Well before mockumentary became fashionable, they were doing it. Robin wrote it with Ros Hammond and Matt Cameron. Oh yeah. And. It was beautiful and I, I got cast in two episodes. One of them was playing her husband and that was it. it that was the beginning of, of that. And I, we met, people say, how do you work together? We met via work and we met via comedy and narrative at that. And it's what we've been doing ever since. So it was that connection.
0: And for you, because you're a stage actor, yep. principally, and actually, uh, my long-term collaborative partner, Julian Merrick, we became long-term collaborative partners because you pulled out of something,
1: <laughs> and
0: I took your place. Really? Really? Ned Kelly. Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: Wow. I wonder what I, I must have. I think it might have been the castle. Yeah, I think it might have been the castle. Oh wow! It? What a
1: bum move that was. Yeah. Because Isn't that incredible? You found a partner, and you were in the castle. That's incredible. Yeah, but
0: then you found a partner. Was so when you got together, um, I, I, did you kind of go, "Hey, let's make stuff together," or did you say, "Did the, what came first, the, or, or did it come together, or how did it how did it evolve?" The,
1: the work came a little bit later. I had been, I'd been working in television for a a few years in bits and pieces. You know, I'd worked on the Eric Banner show, the sketch show, which is how I met Roz and Matt and this team of people. And then I just wanted to keep creating television like that, which was extremely hard because it was a new kind of, it was either fast forward sketch, full frontal sketch comedy or sort of mother and son. There, there, There wasn't anything narrative comedy in between that. But I was determined to do that.
0: Did you find it difficult as a woman trying to do that at Uh, that time? Fuck yes. Yeah.
1: I was the only woman in the room for most of my career for, you know, there was me and seven blokes or Roz and me and 12 blokes or me on stage. I had a short short burst of stand-up when I first moved to Melbourne. It was me and seven blokes. It was... Constantly, and I was constantly yeah, and I. It's so funny. I say this much more. I mean, I've always said it, but I can. After Me Too, I feel like I'm allowed to say it more because I always felt like I've got to be more polite about it because then the men won't employ me. <laughs> it's fucked up. It's fucked up. You know, but absolutely, mm. and there is. I mean, it still happens. I'm. I'm. I still. I bristle, and it's it's happened less and less, and also I've owned my space in the world a lot more, but, you know, just over the years, even working with Wayne, I've seen that develop a lot, but, you know, just people address him first, or people say, uh, you know, our names go in alphabetical order, but people go Wayne Hope and Robin Butler, and I, it's just, it's so endemic. It's so intrinsically, it's just in people's heads and they just go, he comes first. Sometimes in production meetings you notice people address him and not me and it's...
2: They don't work for us for a long, though.
1: It's nothing to do with <laughs> Wayne. Wayne <laughs> is the most generous, collaborative, you know, sharing partner, but it's it, it, it's those little things that you notice. more. It's not people being... You know, I've had my fair share of people trying to fill me up in, you know, inappropriate moments and things like that, of course, and saying inappropriate things, but it's the more insidious...
0: Yeah, subtle, ingrained, yeah, behavior. It's, it's, autopilot yeah, version
2: of... Autopilot yeah.
1: sexism. Yeah. and um, But in terms of just trying to get my space in the world and trying to convince people that a female perspective from comedy is valid because Mm. men made the decisions and I don't think that's funny. Well, (laughs) I I, 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 I think that's funny. (laughs) I I don't know how to tell you, but but it is funny. And then women are used to watching, you know, we grew up watching Monty Python and we grew up watching, you know,
0: well, Benny Hill, where 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 women were objectified and yeah. that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, for, for comedy.
1: It's yeah. and it's not it just it. it's not isn't just the, the objectification, yeah. but it's even in the it's what's funny is men being funny. So to see a woman being funny is like, well, is she? Because that's not what I grew up with, and I was the same, you know. But I just I just thought that my mum was is is really funny, and she's funnier she's the funniest person in the house so I just went oh well, she's the funny one so I just it never occurred to me that I I didn't and every, I made everybody laugh so it just never never occurred to me that I couldn't do that and then um, yeah, so it's been it's been a long long ride
0: so when you got together and you decided to start making things what I mean was there a power struggle I mean given that you had that uh, sense of uh, men being more respected in that in in our business, was there any sense that oh golly I'm working with this guy I know we're in a relationship together but is there any kind of no, I, no well you should answer that because it was your was
2: <laughs> You're I, I could say, no there wasn't any power struggle no yeah. there
1: wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a power struggle I think if anything we wrestled with our own demons of various things yeah, yeah it was the right
2: time for us both. we were both reconciling kind of who we were as around 30 something to go okay what am I doing and coming into the relationship both been in other relationships and it was a reckoning in that sense but I my background my had um, my father left when I was quite young so I was brought up by my mum, very strong woman who had a small business um, and I saw that as the norm and her being in charge both financially and in a household and I had two older sisters and so it wasn't, it was never threatening to me, it was just the, a norm state and my father was you know kind of pathetic in my eyes if anything so there was, a, the strength from women wasn't threatening to me, it was kind of welcomed and nurturing really and Um.
1: it was i'm so i always say that but i'm so grateful for wayne's mum being so strong because he has no problem and i would say just on that like a couple of times in our careers maybe when i've started directing and you know i feel sometimes like wayne might have overstepped the mark when we're on set and he might say start explaining to people how it's going to work or something and taking <laughs> my voice and I just... But I'm really able to say to him, like, just take him aside and go, don't do that. I'm... I'm
0: I'm directing. I'm
1: doing this and I don't like it when you do that. And he goes, absolutely, sorry. Like, it's, it's not a... And that comes out of... I know that comes more out of a place of love. He's trying to help me rather than I'm going to tell you how this is working because... And the fact that we were able to have that immediately worked out in a conversation at the time I know it's like it's just not a it's not a thing and that's really important that's that's as important for me to be able to say it I finally got someone that I can say I don't like that when you you know put that out there yeah
2: um that first show we made circling back to stories from the gulf Robin and how we started doing work was a succession of you know both working independently I was getting probably a bit of acting work still at that point um robin was tr- writing trying to get projects up and that was robin coming up with the idea for stories from the gulf and coming to me and going i think i've got something you know maybe we should make this ourselves make three five minute episodes ourselves and really it was robin that was the first one to that was the birth of the company. Yeah. And it was the a change in mindset, especially for the time, because there was no online world at that point. Well, there was, but there wasn't content. YouTube wasn't there. So to, to take ownership in terms of production was a kind of radical thought to go, let's make it. And yeah. go, well, how? You know, I was I at college...
1: Frontline was doing it. They were...
2: Yeah, they yeah. were just picking up mm. kind of high-8 cameras and doing that thing, you know. I was at college only at university only, you know, 10 years before that, and it was still a million dollars worth of editing equipment that you had to find to go and do. So yeah. this is 10 years later and an iMac is suddenly there. And, and so we took the lead. I was pretty tech savvy, but it was Robin that went, let's change everything and take control of the means of production.
1: But and this is where we were great to be co- together because I would have the idea and I would say that and Wayne would go, Great. Sure, we'll, well, it's been like that ever that's, since. That's, so that, yeah. that is how it works. How it it's, works. It's we off.
0: can do that. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: and, it's, and it's strange because it's always off the idea. There's something about the idea. When the idea, the creative idea is strong enough...
0: You know, don't you? You do, yeah. and you back
2: it 100% and you back it, and sometimes we've backed it with extreme risk. Yeah. Um,
0: with no money or like the, the... So how did, I mean, when you did Stories from the Golf... Did you go to SBS and say, look, we've got this idea for these five minute things or, no. or did you just shoot them and then?
2: Yeah, we just shot them. We just shot th- three episodes and we shot it with uh, a little Sony handy cam that we bought uh, and then, you know, said this, but the, the boom pole was made out of our camp bed that we just <laughs> pieced that together and stuck it together with gaffer tape and I went down to Tandy Electronics and build a long lead for the microphone and it was that and then after we'd made them
1: after we made them somehow somebody told somebody who told somebody that they'd heard about it you know and it got to sbs and they we got this call out of the blue from this producer at sbs who said we're looking we need a five minute slot filled on saturday nights um we hear you've got these
0: this thing. What were you going to do with them? To get try them and sell
1: was... them to cable. Oh,
0: you're going yeah, to try yeah. and sell them to cable?
2: Yeah, Because,
1: yeah, at the time, Foxtel had just started and we knew that they didn't have ads at the time but they had these little five-minute... Because... To, to round
2: up the hour, throw it off and go, they'd get a 50-minute show. Yeah, because you,
0: you, you, your commercial hour of television's...
2: 43
1: minutes. Yeah yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, so you'd
2: need things to get up to the hour slot because yeah. they are still showing that. So,
1: so we noticed that they had this thing. so I said, let's... let's um, because we had Foxtel, because we'd made met this show for the Comedy uh, Channel. Oh, for free for a year. yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: I s- did tacos for Foxtel, and I never got offered it. Never no, got no, offered no, it. That was no,
2: early, this I was
1: think this was days. very early fledgling days. They couldn't days give it away, that, Really? Yeah, they,
0: yeah. No
2: one was. On.
1: And so, so yeah, I was. I noticed that, and I said, "Well, let's try and sell them for for this." And so it was literally. It was just off the smell of an oily rag, and we did. We we got up at. 5 a.m. and made all the rolls and the lunches carers. for the everybody yeah. that day, and it was so wonderful. And then, yeah, SBS got in touch, saw the three that we had made, and said, "I love it. Can you give us 13?" Wow. And suddenly, with 13, I mean, it was the tiniest budget you've ever seen. It was still, it was totally guerrilla, but it was incredible. What it gave us was a production company credit because we had. Um, 65 minutes of television we had 13 five minutes we had 65 minutes and that qualifi- let us qualify for the funding authority the funding
0: yeah. Yeah. so suddenly
1: we were writers directors producers with 65 minutes we went you, now we can apply to in, film victim snuck
0: victory. in by 5 minutes yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. In it increments.
1: was incredible we got there in
0: increments yeah and um, that must have been but it also must have been empowering too I, I, I guess it, it must have taken you to a new level in terms of self-belief Totally yeah, uh, totally. Yeah,
1: I think you because going back to Neil's question earlier like you I We traveled to Europe the first year that we met yeah, and we were on a train from somewhere to somewhere Bilbao to to Barcelona And when we got out of the train you found out you didn't get a job.
2: I didn't get a job. I'd auditioned for Talented Mr. Ripley at MTC. That's what it
1: was, yeah.
2: Dave Stridentic. Dirty David
1: <laughs> Just. What? Did. Never
2: liked the man. Oh, oh <laughs> such a bombastic man. Um, uh, and I, it was one of those times where I had, you know, often with, I was theatre actor predominantly at the time, yeah. and those couple of MT State Theatre Company gigs or whatever, was like your pathway that you thought, okay. And sometimes, you know, like any actor, when you feel you've got close, you let the whole dream run out in front of you. And Absolutely. Go, That's secure. So I've got that six weeks' worth of pay. I know I can do that. And I think I was probably spending it in Spain before I'd earned it in Melbourne. Yeah. Well,
1: also, you'd spent a decade doing theatre, and that was... That, you, that was straight. that, was was, that would have been
0: that would have been your first MTC gig, I would imagine, if you'd have got it. Would that be right? No, you would
1: no, already
0: done um... But it would have been your first lead. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. And that is for a for a stage actor, that's kind of like, well, hello. Yeah. You know, in the big house. Yeah. Playing the lead. Yeah. Tell it was so
1: important. But and he didn't get it and he was devastated. And I was so annoying because I was—I <laughs> remember I was just jumping around him like the Duracell bunny going, it doesn't matter because we can make stuff. You should just make stuff. Let's just make stuff together. I was just so annoying. And I was constantly trying to get him to see that he could have, like he could do this over here. You know, he could just jump over here and do what he's been doing with theatre, but you know, you could take control of it. I
2: think I saw that a bit earlier. I oh, saw that way earlier in f- for, for television, but I just thought that that was too far away, like, or too hard to get control of. I'd had my you know, I'd work with others in independent theatre and, mm. and, you know, gone for years of pulling our credit cards and putting on plays at,
0: at La Mama and everything gasworks everywhere, but, but this seemed like, well, how... how because well, that, networks, wasn't, that was, it was access. But that wasn't the journey. I mean, I was the same. I, I kind of went, no, the, the, that place is the place. That's the yeah. journey. Yeah. We go yeah. to that place. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and there's a sense too, I think, of of that when you get to that place, you're there. But then, <laughs> as you probably know and I know well, there is no there there. There's no
2: there. No. there. That's <laughs> true. And the, the great part about when we pivoted and went into our own stuff i felt free from everybody i didn't i didn't have to i felt free from that kind of theater pathway and that that world which i realized is actually quite is, is extremely small i mean you know that but then you become well aware of that and you know, as an artist, to have any sense of control at any time, it's, it makes an incredible difference it's to your psyche. So. What about
0: what about writing, though? I mean, you, you, you did stand-up and you... Were you writing for Michaela for...?
1: Yes, I had written kind of all through... Well, I was an improviser in Sydney and then I wrote a lot of sketch comedy. And we were all doing... And I was always writing. And then I wrote for, I wrote stand-up, I really fell into stand-up accidentally when I moved to Melbourne because I did a comedy festival show here, a sketch comedy show at The Last Laugh and when I went home they said, do you want to do a season of stand-up and I didn't do stand-up but I took the opportunity to just start and wanted to do, um, wanted to move to Melbourne and so I did that and then I was pregnant and it was just convenient and I did it for, I just hosted shows at the last laugh for about a year or two. So then that
0: that sustained you for it that sustained
1: period. me. I mean I would you know in a tiny way but in the it way was that incredible. We call it that's <laughs> right, that's right. And but it was gruelling and I had a baby and it was hard and, you know, all of that. But I then I got the job on Eric's show and then and I wrote on that as well, and then wrote small tales. So I was I always sort of seen myself as a bit of a writer, and I was trying very hard to write, like the whole time. Wayne was still auditioning, and you know, making theatre and stuff. I was trying to take shows to the ABC and write other things.
0: When did you? When did you kind of find? Was it difficult to find that you could write, or did yeah. you believe? Yeah. I, I, no, I didn't believe it.
2: I I had. It's funny. I wrote. When I fell into the arts, late high school via a teacher and and loved drama, I had that burst of creativity that I remember I could go, I'll come up with an idea and do that, which was great. And then at university, I had a sketch comedy group with Matt Cameron yeah, and that I met him at university and we wrote sketches and that felt free. But then... I kind of pushed into acting and then didn't pursue that. I wrote a, when we had a theatre company uh, after university, I wrote a play then, just a small one-hour piece. Um, but I didn't really see myself in that space. And it was it was Robin that, that went, no, come on, um, kind of teased that out, back out again. And I think I felt... A bit more, in, I felt insecure in that space. I, I, I didn't think I had the... Uh, Robin will know this backwards in me, but I, there's this insecurity to a kind of um, how much I knew in a, in a literary sense that mm. I felt insecure in that space and therefore I didn't have a voice because I didn't know the history of it. And it's a strange thing. It's I don't know whether it's a shadow of a migrant past in my family or it
1: definitely is. It's a, it's a it's a, you know from from where I sit, it's a combination of things. It's having migrant parents, and English wasn't their first language. Wayne's parents are Dutch, and then Wayne's mum being focused on a small business and making money not making, obviously making money, you know, but from a migrant past, that was how you showed success. Yeah. And she was extremely successful and the emphasis wasn't on, you know, how well can you construct a sentence, it's how well can you manage in life, which was a...
0: Same as me, Uh, you know, um, lower middle class made good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh,
0: and uh, that idea of... Of you sort of expressing yourself in that way. It's not not, the norm. No, it's it's
2: not the norm, and it's not it's not a currency that's around the table. So, it has become that absolutely. But I had to meet somebody and have a deep experience with somebody that went. That's a normal exchange. You can let that go. And there's somebody who would hold you. That's right. And And also, that I didn't
1: see it. Like like because I can see that you know. Wayne's mum thought that he would be great in economics, and you had enrolled in economics. That's what she wanted yeah. you to, or yeah. to find. That that's what she wanted you to do. Then you fell into this theatre company with Matt and Aiden Fantasy, yeah. and they were the writers. Yeah. And then you, your great skill was being an actor, but also the producing side of it, because he's got such a fantastic business head. You can see how you get into those pathways because of what you know and what you're comfortable yeah. with. But then I met him and he's fucking fantastic and he's got this brain that makes my head explode and he's so smart and he's got all these ideas and I'm going, well, let's just write. And then he gets in his own way and goes, well, I, I can't do that. And I'm like, and it took me, it took us a while to work that out because, yeah. because I would, we'd be having these little tiffs where I'd be writing and I'd be going, I don't even know what we're sort of arguing about. What's, what's, what are we arguing about here? And it was like, I took me, it took us a while to unpack. We didn't know that word then, but it took us a while to we didn't.
0: we didn't have that word. We didn't
1: have that word. <laughs> no, we were packed. But, you know, it took me a while to work out the, the core of that, that Wayne was insecure about his, his ability to write or... Yeah. You know, and which we, we we've changed that narrative, didn't we?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's the benefit of having a long... Collaborative relationship. Yes. It is. You can, you can change. You can develop this, in, the, in the deepest of ways. It's, yeah.
0: This is something that we'll pick up in the second half, the long-term collaborative relationship, because we've got the half-time, because I put my hand up. You did ah. put your hand up. Now, I like to go out into the, into the break Yes. Uh, with a piece of music. Do you, I, I don't know about you guys, but, but music is a really important part of my creative process. So every show I do, there's a song. That seems to somehow, when I'm thinking about the work, yep. I kind of get get this song in my head. Now there's two of you, yes. So you're going to get one turn each, okay. Um, and the middle turn I'm going to hand to Robin. Is there is is music kind of working here?
1: It's it music is very much part of what we do. I we're not people who write. To music though, but there is song I know what you mean. Look, the, the song that comes to mind that I'm the first thing when you was talking about that is Coming Home Baby by Mel Torme which is um Velvet Fog uh, <laughs> <Velvet Falk, laughs> Which is the up middle bogan okay, theme. Yeah, I theme yeah. yeah, but that's uh that's a huge part. I'm coming home, baby now. I'm coming home now, right away. I'm coming home, baby
3: now. I'm sorry now I ever went away. Every night and day I and stay.
0: That is the unmistakable oh, voice of the man I'm they called home, the now. Velvet Fog. I'm one of my favourites, the late great Mr. Mel Torme. I'm coming home, baby doll. And you're listening to Episode 1, Series 2 of Making Art with me, Neil Pickett. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a bit of a pandemic going on at the moment. It's been in all the papers. And what that means for Australia's creative community is that we've been completely shut down and a great many of our people, friends and colleagues, people you watch, listen to, those that enrich our community through their creative endeavours are struggling. And not just with the financial ramifications, but also with the uncertainty it looks like it will be a long time before we can even begin to get back to doing what we do. And with the way the various state and federal governments have responded to what is without question a crisis in the arts sector, has left a great number of us wondering if there'll be anything much left to return to if and when we can get back to normal, whatever that will be. Now, in a previous life, I was a committee member of the Victorian Actors Benevolent Trust, The VABT is one of a number of organisations around the country that offer financial support to performers in need, along with all the other members of the creative team, many of whom you don't know, the technicians, directors, designers, mechanists, ushers, lighting operators, playwrights, all of whom are casual contract workers without any fat on the bone who right now are doing it tough. So, on the weekend, I had a brief chat with the president of the Victorian Actors Benevolent Trust, sally Ann Upton, just to get a snapshot of what's happening from her perspective. Here's sally Ann. So, tell me what you're finding amongst the creative community at the moment that you're endeavouring to support. What's the feeling?
4: I think uh, total insecurity in the sense of, not knowing what's going on and like I was saying to you it's we're used to having a wave of insecurity because that's the nature of our craft and what we do but we've also been bumped unfortunately and forgotten in the sense of it's forgetting that we have a craft and we have a trade in all that's happened in the COVID world and all of insecurities that brings up with a, a virus. We've also fallen through the gaps of many things that the government has offered as help to the arts but actually doesn't get down to the grassroots of who we are.
0: You're actually also got people who are going, no 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 no, there's people worse off than me. It's hard for actors, isn't it, to and and, in, and people in our business who who try to put on a good face all the time to actually actually confront the reality that we may not be working for another year.
4: Yeah, well that's what we but that's that's what we do as artists. We we do put on faces that go out and act out this play and sometimes it's not what we're feeling inside, but that's our craft and that's what we love. But at the moment people are really worried where where's their next stage, where's their next platform? And as artists we're always used to giving out in that moment. We give out all the time. So to actually turn the energy around, to actually ask and receive or take up an offer of help, um, it's just foreign to us. Mm. And so that's, I think that's why psychologically as performers and artists or front behind, they don't want to do that because there's always somebody else worse off than me, but at the moment people are struggling and we really want them to reach out to us at the moment because we've had some campaigns and we've got some money. We don't have loads, but we can spread it and we can help people. And a lot of people think that benevolent trusts or funds are about old people, but it's, as you know yourself, it's not. We've helped a lot of young people and you've got to think of the young ones that are coming out of courses or in the middle of a course that we're
0: just starting their careers you
4: know and they're struggling as well
0: it's not just the actors either though is it Sal because most of our stage technicians the vast majority of them are all casual workers our our mechanists our lighting operators all these and the designers directors even playwrights uh I mean playwrights are, are in the same position that we're in Without wanting to sort of uh, put the people in the creative industries in a in a special basket, um, we do live on the edge, though. Our, our, you know, not a lot of us have a lot of fat on the bone.
4: No, a lot of people don't. And they 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 love us. Don't get me wrong. You know that they love us, and we feel very loved by the people that love the arts and support the arts, but some people think that if you they see you on television we've said this before that you you're rolling in the hay you know you ain't there's only 3% that are in that million dollar bracket the rest of us are working hard working actors and on this at this time we also lost the jobs that support us like you know celebrant or whatever you whatever those part time jobs yeah that... that all went as well it's like nadine Gardner said you know Everybody in Australia understands what it's like to be an artist that's been affected in that way now.
0: It's uh, it's interesting too. You said, you know, we're used to riding the wave, but they're, from from our point of view, we are looking at a pretty long wave here, aren't we? Yeah,
4: because we don't know what's going on. There's a lot of this we just don't... Like, face it, it's bonkers. We have no idea why, what the hell's going on. We've just got to all sort of... Ride this, but we've also got to bloody look after these people. I just want people to start asking the bene- you know, our funds for a bit more help, and we'll, you know, we'll try to do
0: that. That was the president of the Victorian Actors Benevolent Trust, mm-hmm. Sally Ann Upton. Now, if you'd like to help support the trust in your state with a donation, I'll have some information as to how you can do that at the end of the episode and on the website www.makingart.com.au But now it's back to my conversation with Robin and Wayne. After a short break and a bit of socially distanced stretching, we reassumed the position and I began by relating a relatively recent travel experience. You know, uh, last year my partner Hannah Bertram, the uh, visual artist, uh, got a little gig in New Orleans, in the United States, and uh, I went along for the, for the ride, as you do, and uh, went down the famous Basin Street on a Saturday night and I swear to God it was wall to wall people falling over drunk. Wow. It was quite incredible. Anyway, there was a guy standing at the door of one of these clubs and I said to him, where do all these people come from? And he said to me, New Orleans, New Orleans, the town where every American librarian comes to let their hair down. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you kind of noticed, but that was a bit of a segue. Yes, I liked it. I
1: wondered where it was going.
0: Yeah, I thought you might. Yeah, you you had a puzzled look about you. What... What, I mean the light I mean back and back in uh, small small business was the kind of the the first bigger series was it? Is it no, librarians, right? no, the librarians was first, librarians first. Was yeah, first, yeah. yeah. Well, um, and I'm I, look I'm sorry I'm sure you've been asked this question so many times before but why yeah uh, and how did you two arrive at that place
1: well it was an interesting Genesis that one because during the eric banner show i had developed a sketch called lynette the librarian and we never filmed it and um she actually was nothing like Frances, um the the character i played the head librarian of the librarians but ros hammond and i just loved this world that i'd created and she had been working a lot at the local library. And we wanted to work together again. We hadn't worked together since. Roz had been
0: working at the library.
1: Working, just working on her own stuff at the library.
0: Oh, sorry, sorry. Using uh, the the library as a space. I thought, I went into the library. I didn't (laughs) see Roz behind me.
1: And so Rosie and I wanted to do something together. And we started working on this thing. And I think, did we apply for funding? as our company we did
2: we applied for to film victoria for seed funding they they had that which was you know just $5000 for just to seed an idea and and just flesh it out and try and see where it came so we went okay we'll we'll, we'll go for that
1: and then we got the money which felt like winning tats lotto at the time to get money to write an idea like it was just extraordinary and this was after stories from the gulf but sort of in this we were still in a kind of wasteland of you know doing things like might have started working on the radio i don't know anyway the time frame is weird but in terms of just getting funded for your ideas seemed incredible then rosie went on she got a job a theater tour and went travelling for 12 months or something yeah she around Australia
2: get. on kind the theatre show but
1: maybe it was Secret Bridesmaids business yeah I think it was and then so we would now have this funding money and it was like there was no internet or anything at that point no. so we kind of well, we have to that we were able to use in that way so we I said well Wayne and I will just do it well Wayne and I are you happy for Wayne and I Wayne and I can sort of continue this so we sort of Fell into this thing with an idea of a library and not really much else. Yeah. And then as we started developing it, it was the time of um, John Howard and asylum seekers. It was, all was yeah. starting to happen. Yeah. And so we live in St Kilda in Melbourne and we had frequented the St Kilda Library you know, for With many, kids, right? many yes. years, and Children's it's, it's a, just an incredible um, melting pot, is Well, it? this
0: neighbourhood used to be, because I mean, I, I've been here now for a very long time as well, and I think uh, we had 250 students at St Kilda Primary when Keone was going to St Kilda Primary, yeah. and 49 different ethnic groups represented, plus we had the units, so there, were the, there was a broad socio-economic demographic. Right. Yes. And that made it a really fascinating neighborhood yeah it was
1: was. and the it was everybody was in the library there were homeless people in the library there were the well-heeled in the library there was you know there was something we actually put in the show at one point where i was sitting there one day and a woman took out it got the local got a pile of the local papers or the you know the daily papers that were able to be read and pulled them out in front of her and I was watching going, oh, I wonder what paper she's going to choose to read. And she just opened up the first one that was there and pulled a fish out of her bag and wrapped it up in the <laughs> <paper>. <laughs> And I went, yeah that that checks out that sort of but the and the other community that community group that was always there was the Hasidic Jewish community but of course that's doesn't really mean anything unless you live in St Kilda in
0: in the shtetl yeah that's right
1: or in Bondi in Mm. Sydney you don't really know that that community doesn't really sort of exist anywhere else so we thought we let's make it a Muslim community instead Mm. because that's very politically potent right now Um, and so we created this person to kind of be emblematic of the intolerance and bigotry that we were witnessing who was Frances and embodied her with this kind of passive aggressive suburban quality which I've been obsessed with for my whole life Why is that? (sighs) Why is that? I don't know why I still there was an ad for Bagon when we were little Mm. and there was and i still say the ad now there was an ad for bacon what's it, you know cockroach spray yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was a woman hosting a, a morning tea with all these women and she would she said well i even spray in my drawers now before i put my clothes in because they're too valuable to lose aren't they more coffee And I just was obsessed with the way she spoke. And I just thought it was so funny that these women would be sitting around having coffee. And maybe it was because my mother worked. My mother was a nurse and she worked my entire life. These women who were sitting chatting about coffee were about cockroaches. And I don't know why. We both were drawn to that. And I don't know why I was always drawn to this sort of suburban, middle-class fucking bullshit, not saying what you think. Um... I don't know. I went to a Catholic school, and it was very
0: repressed. Repressed. Yes.
1: The repression really it was something we were very. I think interested. we both
2: identified with that because we hadn't. We didn't come from artistic families necessarily, so that even you were encouraged, but to find your voice, to 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 speak freely no matter what you thought we i think we both grappled with that to a sense so a character that is passive aggressive and saying something sideways we both identified with and could write to very easily and comically like that was it was like a a vein that we struck that went.
1: And we thought it was easy. So we surrounded Frances with all these people that she would just be so irritated by, you know, and we were right, gay Asian, a woman in a wheelchair, a free sex, sexy sort of blonde. Um, a Muslim character a criminal like just everybody that we could think of that would irritate her and we thought it was just much funnier to have someone who was so repressed that they had trouble dealing with it rather than someone who was a you know a, a f- freely bossy authoritative kind of person someone who really struggled with their position of authority but loved their position of authority
0: so in 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 effect the 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 situation let's the library somehow your kind of politics and your social concerns all kind of just full, fortuitously kind of arrived in is would that be fair to say yeah. it kind of yeah. like it presented you with a you went oh my god we can actually talk about yeah. these things. In this way, in this place. Yeah. yeah, I
1: think that's right. I think it did, and then it really resonated as a result. It was very surprising for us because it was our first big thing, and it was, it was very successful. It was very successful,
2: and and picked up the first episode, the first scene in the first episode is a staff meeting, and it's a perfect way to put her up the front and deal with her staff who you know she has a problem with each and every one of them and who they are and that is and and there was a line in there where the muslim character came in and said i'm sorry but there's someone you know knocking on the library door they want to get in and she said we're not open until 9am on a wednesday nada our country our rules
0: yeah and i remember that very well i also remember her uh saying you know um you better leave your backpack at the front <laughs> okay. door or oh, well, we know why
2: and it was funny because the, the our country our rules line we nearly took out because we thought it was too too, too obvious it's too, too broad. it's too broad it's saying how, how it is and it's one of those things that became you know like what a catch cry and yeah. and the abc in seasons to come kept wanting to kind of return to that as it could we put it in again and it's it's strange but that moment I think it against the backdrop of the political environment it was a perfect succinct saying at the time
1: it was but also the number of people who would say that's my mother that's my sister that's my boss that's my mother-in-law that's the woman that I had to do the you know whatever whatever and it was for us it was a really it was the first time and obviously you know it wasn't perfect and we were bumping into walls trying to yeah. make it and work out how to do it but but our politics collided with our ability to write a story and character i think which is you know
0: it's interesting you say you're bumping into walls how to do it i mean it's a major directorial uh, undertaking and you directed i think you I both did. directed episodes
1: no way directed i
0: directed all, that yeah. and but
2: i was that first episode i just mentioned in the staff room um I got to that and we'd found a Mercedes dealership down in um, Sturt Street in South Melbourne that we've converted to the library. And I, we it's were, now the MTC building. It's now the MTC building. Uh, it's where the librarians were shot. And I went down there and we were building that set and I went, I'm shitting myself. I, <laughs> I am absolutely up against this. And I got a dear friend of ours, Kevin Carlin, who you would know, who I know directed very many well. episodes of Blue Heelers, I yeah. believe. He did. Um, and he had worked with Robin and I'd worked with him. And I said, can you come down to this set we've got and just talk me through it. And he mentored me for a couple of hours and just, I said, oh, I've got to shoot this scene. But it was the complexity, Robin always writes Twelve people in a scene. She's very, very good at, at, at spreading the load and making them complex and and vibrant. And they're great for comedy, but they're very, very hard to shoot because you've got to cover
0: multiple people. It's much easier when two people sit down opposite a desk and you just yeah. Well, you've, uh, you've got you've got you've got angles and you've got. The famous line: "Are we crossing the line?" <laughs> crossing the line. Boy, some of those conversations uh, about crossing the line that can go on for quite some time. <laughs> and then I realised how many lines are created
2: <laughs> when people start speaking to multiple people. And I was, had this diagram, and all it had was lines everywhere. And, and so it was a great—that's that's our bumping into the walls. Yeah. And I and I crossed the line in the first episode, uh, and I remember being in the edit, going, "I fucked this up." I I was doing a travelling shot because I loved, right from early, my instinct was to move. I loved moving, and the library was perfect for that. Something we've kept in most of our work is a sense of movement, choreography. We love actors feeling like they're in a play because we feel like the performances are better. But I had this movement of um, Bob Franklin's character and moving him from the front counter over to a set of bookshelves, and I and I filmed in one side and then for some reason I've done this travelling shot and then i filmed on the other side and I've gotten the edit and the editor has gone where's your shot from the other side and said this doesn't cut and feeling so confronted but then I went put them together and we put them together and I went it works the story's still being told and it was a great lesson in going so what happens if we still cross the line and still keep it like did the crossing the line, police arrive and just freeze the ABC at Gordon Street and then freeze us up.
0: There's only people like me who go, they crossed the line.
1: <laughs> 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 well, then at work, you get into something like Up in Hulburgan where we purposely cross the line because yeah. we're, we're playing with it then and we want to, you know fuck shit up you know <laughs> so it's it, it it's funny but um
2: we yeah. were learning as we were oh
1: we were learning yeah and it's funny you know because sometimes you can feel a little bit embarrassed as you're moving through you think oh that work was so raw and oh it didn't you know I, I don't go back and watch things generally anyway but um once we've made them but recently we saw the librarians back on iview Mm. and we just stumbled across it i was in your office and it was on you were looking for something i can't remember anyway it was just on wayne's computer and we were both standing there and i was like in the middle of doing something else but i found myself just standing there watching it and really giggling away at it and i thought i've forgotten this entire thing Mm. which i mean god what a luxury is that to have done enough work that you can forget some of the work that you've made i mean how lucky am i
0: yeah, you say, you know, like the rawness of the early stuff. Uh, and uh, so then we get into, um, you made a, a, a film a couple of years ago, was mm-hmm. it two two three years ago? Oh, longer
1: than that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that long yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Four years, yeah. Four. Now at, at Honey, so yeah. that's yet another step on. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I know you had a lot of trouble getting that up. Yeah, we did.
1: Had a lot of trouble the whole time. It <laughs> was nothing easy or... It was very problematic.
0: Yeah, but that's a whole nother learning curve, isn't yeah. it? I mean, so is it so is it fair to say that that you de, you you're kind of deliberately pushing yourself forward, or is it just that that seemed like a logical step, and you thought, oh well, we we've kind of managed to do this, and I know you work with an ensemble of creatives, and that you've. You've maintained these strong relationships with these people uh, over a period of time yeah. and so you have the confidence of that team I suppose working with you
2: we do I think it uh, I think a lot rests with Robin. Robin does you know come into my office every couple of months and go what about if we and I, I sometimes feel my body tightening because I know this is can't we just do the thing that's in front of us, which is a 40-part series already, but I think you do have this spirit that, that whatever the idea is or whatever you're thinking, you don't really care. And the film was an example of that, of the barriers to entry don't really cross your mind. You just start with that with that hunger to do it, because you, you can see something, And then I think between us, going back to that spirit of stories from the gulf, I kind of have this attitude of, oh, how hard can it be? Or like, okay, they're just things. Let's learn, what's a film then? What's the barriers to entry? turns out they're enormous and it's really hard. But I think you often cast out to a new new spot.
1: Yeah, and you make yourself sound less... Persuadable, perhaps, or you know, you, you oh, how hard can it be? Is not the, I think you have a response much more okay, and you, oh, I'm, you and I'm
0: deeply interested
1: yeah, in it
2: and, yeah. and all of that, but I think yeah.
0: that's what, yeah, you, but you're analytical, aren't you? you? You kind of go now, well, I because I'm, I'm I mean, I don't know you that well, but I know you well enough to know that you go well, now That that's
2: I'm, I'm a I do have a I'm across the business side of it, so I can I, I'm probably pretty quick to go, okay, how will we make this how does this idea work for us in, in a business sense? Is there a way forward for this? And sometimes we've discussed it and go, the idea might not be, um, have an obvious avenue to, for, for it to be something, and then we've got to work a bit harder to go, oh, well, maybe it could be something else. Maybe it's smaller, maybe it's... yeah. And sometimes that takes a while.
0: That's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, there's this sense that bigger is better. But, you know, from my Experience Bigger's just bigger. Yeah. Uh, so sort of taking the opportunity to go, no, well, hang on, maybe it's just this little thing over here. Like you've done something in um, in COVID, haven't you? Yeah. Oh,
1: honestly, that's been the most joyful thing. We made a little web series called Love in Lockdown, which is what it sounds like, a romantic comedy set in the isolation period that COVID-19... Uh, pre,
2: pre, um, delivered. Delivered.
1: Yeah. And um, my friend Lucy Durack, our friend Lucy Durack, came and said to me, "I'd I'd like I've got this idea of people falling in love um, with ukulele lessons, doing ukulele lessons online." Oh. And we had been probably four weeks into. Yeah. Mm. We'd had family members in quarantine. Our dog, one of our dogs, had died um we'd been doing funding applications for a bunch of younger people that we're working with to kind of help get them development money all that had sort of finished and it was a bit all just a bit fucking grueling all all around and um and I just said yeah that sounds fun yeah Wayne I think we Lucy's got this idea and I think I want to write it with her and what should we like do you want to do it do you want to like, what is exactly what he's saying that I normally come into his office and go, I'd like to do this. What, what do you think? Should we, you know? And you went, yeah, let's do it. And I, I remember feeling really relieved that you said, because otherwise I didn't quite know what I was going to do if I was going to write it with Lucy. And then somehow I didn't know what would happen. Well, well,
2: there was enormous creative freedom in amongst the pandemic because we were freed from, uh, there's no financial avenue for this. There is no, people aren't making programs, so we went... No, you can't whack a crew together and go... No, you can't do all that. So let's, so the entire premise was, okay, how could actors film themselves? How could we direct them without being there? Um, What's the practicalities of filming and getting that material? So in a creative way, it was incredibly exciting. It was very fast because Robin said, we need to get this, make it and release it before the pandemic before where the restrictions are
0: eased because the otherwise it activity. has no currency. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
2: That was exciting. Yeah. And so we hadn't felt like that since stories from the Gulf. We hadn't felt that rush of we're just doing it. No, it we haven't be, asked anyone.
1: To be honest, with with the thi- like say the investigators, the show that we did for ABC and Netflix, and it was the most. Huge thing to do. People go kind of. You say the feature film, we're like that. We that was enormous, but the kids' TV is the hardest thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's so big and grueling, and so much to manage, and so many parameters. Mm. And I often say, Wayne, I just want to make a web series." And he's like, "You're not making a web series, like." <laughs> and um, I was. I just constantly want to get rid of the circus. Not that I don't love making it, but sometimes the.
0: Simple. This, yeah.
1: Simple. And so Luce and I just worked out the story over a couple of days over Zoom and then I wrote the scripts up over a couple of days. It was the fastest thing I've ever done in my pyjamas, just in my office, like I just did it. And then meanwhile, Wayne's sourcing camera equipment and mics and from all sorts of places, New Zealand, weren't you, waiting for couriers that didn't turn up, trying to get it to Eddie Perfect in Sydney Lucy Mel but it was it was exhilarating wasn't it
0: yeah, oh my god right. we loved it what does that tell you uh, I guess
2: uh, well it, it's that we don't we the business is we've always said we say the business is linear in that it's not um, we, we very rarely ha- have uh, we, we've never had two shows going at once We always it's one then the other then the other sometimes they've dovetailed end of production and start of production but its purpose, I think that says a lot because we, we're interested in the idea more than the scale. So it's one thing that we're interested in and, we, and we, because we write, we both direct, produce, do the post-production, it's a linear pathway and then it's the next thing. And whatever that next thing is, be it a film or we pivot to children's television, which nobody expected. No, and, quite and, unexpected. And we didn't either, we didn't... But <laughs> Ended up there, loved it, had, you know, fortunate to have enormous amount of success there. And then, there are no interests, so there's no plan really, other than we come to an idea and then go, okay, let's do that. And because we don't have the burden of a production company that has 20 people in it, and we go, we've just got to get material up because we've got to feed these people. You know, we have a very small group of people, and then we have a bunch of freelancers that we constantly work with that model works for us and it means it gives us creative freedom because it's led by the idea, not not by the business.
0: Apologies for the interruption, but I got so engrossed in our chat that I forgot to look at the timer and we went way over. So this is what we refer to in the business as a clumsy cut. And in keeping with my policy of not going on for an hour and a half, I'm going to deftly segue into Wayne's choice of song like this. Now you get to pick the music that we go out Mm.
2: with. Well, what about off the back of our responses? I try and sew a song in that encompasses a bit of my suburban background, uh, but uh, the igniting of my kind of thinking uh, life, and it would be Midnight Oil's Power and the Passion. Uh, The awakening of my political self and uh and, suburban and My suburban roots. roots and uh and the passion itself.
0: God bless you both. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Thank you, Neil. Waste
0: former Arts Minister Peter Garrett out the front of Midnight Oil. And that, too, was the first episode of the second series of Making Art. My thanks to Robin Butler and Wayne Hope for allowing me into their creative space. My thanks also to Sally-Ann Upton of the VABT. Now, if you'd like to donate to the VABT, please visit their website www.vabt.com.au or you can do so on the Making Art website, www.makingart.com.au, where you'll also find some photos and links and, of course, episodes from our last season. And if you have time, please review us on whatever platform you listen to us on and pass us on to a friend. Column for Saxophone Quartet, our theme music, was composed by Melbourne's Tim Dargaville, and performed by Sydney's Continuum Sax. Artwork for the podcast and the Making Art website is by Melbourne artist Darren Henderson of Dirty Good. Our website was designed by Scott at Pixelshifter, technical production is by Matthew Gerberkorn at Sonic Playground, and the show was written, recorded and produced by me, Neil Piggott. Join me in a fortnight when I'll be talking with the singer-songwriter Paul Kelly. I'll leave you now with the Velvet Fog. Mr Mel Torme, I'm coming home, baby doll. I'm coming home, baby, now.
3: I'm coming home now right away. I'm coming home, baby, now. I'm sorry now I ever went away. Every night and day I go and stay. I'm coming home, baby, I'm not home. Coming home, baby, now. No, I'm waiting I'm coming home now real soon You've been gone Coming home, baby, now You don't know what I'm going to do I'm coming home, I know I'm overdue Since you went away Expect me any day now real soon I'm coming home Come on, on home Coming home, baby, now You know I'm praying every night And everything is gonna be fine Come on Coming home, baby, now I want to feel you hold me tight Expect to see me now any time when Coming home. Coming home. I'm coming home, baby, now, you know I'm coming every day, I'm coming home now, yeah, 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 use your phone, I'm coming home, baby, now, and baby, let me hear you say, I'm coming home, you hearing what I say, that you're coming home, and I never will go away, hey. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Nothing's wrong. The road is long, baby now. What do we right I'm coming home and never more to roam Baby, tell me you am for sure coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming home, baby now.